What's up, church planters and all you fans of church planting? My name is Jared Huntley, and I'm with my good friend and fellow planter in arms, Matt Hess. And you guys are listening to In the Trenches, a podcast by everyday church planters for the everyday church planter. So whether you're a lead church planter or you're on a church planting team, this podcast is for those of you who want to get in the trenches and advance the kingdom of God. What's up, Matt? How's it going? What's going What's going on, brother? Not much. What are you up to? Oh, man. We had the uh, all-city gathering today here in Toronto, so brought in all the church planners from across the city, east, west, downtown. So that was great, man. Really good. That's awesome, man. Yeah, we had a church planning gather- gathering today, too, with the New City Network here in yeah. D.C., and got, had uh, had some family over. The family The family gatherings have now begun, so we're, we're full uh, bore into the holiday season. So my in-laws were over last night and had a Christmas dinner with at least one part of the in-laws. So, uh, so yeah, so it's cool. My brother-in-law, you know, John, uh, yeah, he's yeah. here. So, yeah, so it's exciting. Oh, man, that's amazing. Yep. And of course, you're rejoicing as a Texas Longhorns fan because my Oklahoma Sooners made the playoffs and you're really pumped about that. Yeah, I'm d- definitely pumped about Where's that. Where's the crickets? Definitely the pumped crickets? about that. Yeah, I need a soundboard for the crickets. So, <laughs> well, I'm, I hope you enjoy it while it lasts until you get smoked in the first round. So, <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. What is this? Yeah, I think it's going to happen. Pour, listeners, you pour your life into people, you mentor them, you love them, you give them all you can, and this is how they respond to you. They hey. knock you. Hey. Hey, listen, I think we could be LSU. I okay. really do. All right. Well, and I and I know I know our guest is going to say the same thing today because <laughs> he's a huge Alabama fan. Yeah, so he he would love to see Oklahoma beat LSU. I know it. <laughs> well, speaking of our guest, want to introduce our guest today, Vance Pittman. Vance is the pastor of Hope Church in Las Vegas, a church that he planted back in 2001. Uh, and so Vance lives in Las Vegas, still there uh, with his family, and he's continuing to lead Hope Church. And uh, Vance, uh, they Hope Church has also planted many other churches, so they've multiplied numerous times. Uh, and so we're excited to have Vance on today. Vance is also going to be coming out with a new book called Unburdened, Stop Living for Jesus So Jesus Can Live Through You. And that's going to be coming out in January. So we're going to talk to Vance a little bit about uh, his new book coming out. Uh, really excited about that. So Vance, welcome in the trenches. Hey, thank you guys for having me. The hardest part of this podcast has been sitting here silently as you talked about college football. Man, I <laughs> wanted to jump into that conversation. So, Vance, who do you got, bro? Uh, there's no doubt that LSU is going to win. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Hey, Vance, it's been great having you on today, brother. We're just, we'll be in uh, prayer the only, for you. The only even slight pull that I could have for Oklahoma is because – Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts <laughs> will always be a stud in the mm, yeah. to lose him with Alabama football. And I'd love to see that kid do well. The problem with Oklahoma in a playoff is you have to play defense. And bro, we're, bro we're, play- we're in the top okay. 25 of defense this year. Yeah, come on, man. Come on. Let's let, go play defense in a real. Oh, game. my Let's God. Yeah. Yeah, but oh I think LSU is the best football team in the country this year. I think they really are. I think Oklahoma's defense is much improved, but I don't know that they can hang with LSU. I don't think anybody can. But yeah. we'll it's going to be it's going to be close. LSU Ohio State is what yeah. it's going to look that's, like, and that's that's the national championship I want to see. I think that'll be a good yeah, matchup. Uh, It'll be know. fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I think we LSU to, will win, but yeah, we need to put SEC Homer on Vance's bio when we release this episode. Hey, no doubt about huh? it. I will say this. Alabama huh? did not belong in the playoff this year. We did oh, not wow. Have, uh, there was no way we belonged in. Even if we had beat Auburn, I don't think Alabama belonged in the playoff this year. We mm, not. Yeah. We don't have the, the pedigree this year, the schedule, the, the championship caliber defense. I'd rather not get in and get in and get embarrassed. And I'm afraid that's what would happen. Matt, I hope you can learn from that. That's called, <laughs> that's called humility. And yeah, right. you know, Oklahoma yeah, right. does not need to yeah, be in the right. college football playoff every yeah, single right. year. He's saying that because he knows like Alabama's going to be there again next year. Who cares? And then take a year off, you know, see, no I know deal. humility. I'm a Longhorns fan, so I know how to be humble. <laughs> well, that's, that's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Y'all hadn't been good since we broke your quarterback in the national championship game about 10 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a while, hasn't it? <laughs> it has. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, frustrating. Oh. Well, hey, uh, Vance, I wanted to uh, ask you if you could just briefly share with us how you originally got into church planting and uh, maybe just kind of your involvement, your continued involvement in church planting over the years. Yeah, for sure. Um, 
for me, it was something to be quite honest. It wasn't on my radar at all. I didn't grow up. Uh, I grew up in a in a Christian home in a church. My parents were first generation Christians, but still grew up in a Christian family. My my dad was a pastor, but church planting was just something to be quite honest with you. I'd never heard of. Uh, we did not plant churches as a church. I guess, you know, you'd think you'd put two and two together and figure churches came from somewhere. They didn't just, you know, <laughs> drop onto the earth. But I never even thought about where a church came from. Um, and so I, I, you know, came to know Christ as a freshman in college, uh, even though growing up in a Christian family, had to realize being around Christianity, being a Christian, were not the same thing. Mm. So I became a follower of Christ in college. Shortly thereafter, surrendered to ministry and started the trek of what I'd been taught was the way you do it. You start as a youth pastor, you work your way up to an associate pastor, you get your seminary degree, you become a senior pastor. And so that's what I did. Um, and uh, it was in my first senior pastor where I was leading a church that God kind of did some stuff in my heart and um, brought me to a place of real brokenness uh, in my own life personally that kind of led me to discover some of the stuff that's actually coming out in, in the book that you mentioned. But um, it uh, sent me kind of soul searching uh, about some about really just who Jesus is and what it looks like to allow Christ to live his life through you. And in doing that, I was reading one morning out of Luke chapter four and Jesus made this statement. He said, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. Mm. And I immediately saw some stuff in Jesus that wasn't in me. I saw a passion for the kingdom, which I'd not ever really noticed before in scripture. I'd always thought about the low. I'd raised in a strong local church environment, but I heard this concept of the kingdom of God and the big picture of what God's doing. And then I saw it connected to uh, the gospel engaging unreached, unengaged cities, this other, his, this passion for the kingdom to expand to other cities. Mm. So I went and got my wife and we knelt down in our living room and said, Lord, yes. And when we said yes, we really thought we were headed overseas mm. to go plant our lives in a village or a country to begin to engage peoples that had never heard with the gospel. Uh, and two weeks after that, my one of my mentors in the ministries, a man named Johnny Hunt, Johnny reached out to me from Woodstock, Georgia, and said, Vance, the First Baptist Church of Woodstock feels led of the Lord to plant a church, to start a new church in the fastest growing city at that time in North America. And this would have been 1999. And he said, Vance, God's put it on my heart that you're to be the pastor of that church. So two weeks earlier, we said, Lord, yes, we don't know where, we don't know when, we don't know what. And two weeks later, God kind of had the audacity to fill in the blank with Las Vegas <laughs> Um, and I say that kind of tongue in cheek, because if you'd asked me in seminary to name the one city in the world, you'd never live in. It would have been Las Vegas because where I'm from, people don't come here. And if they do, they don't tell anybody. Um, but as soon as he said Las Vegas and church planting, we just knew God had called us. We knew so much so that we did something that I don't never I never recommend church planners to do this. But we actually resigned our church in Memphis, Tennessee, where I was pastoring with my dad. And uh, we began the process of moving to Las Vegas, and we'd never even visited the city. We'd never been to Las Vegas. We just so knew God had called us. If we did anything but follow him in obedience, we'd be living in disobedience to that call. Mm. So it came out of left field for me. I'm not somebody who sat in a seminary classroom and dreamed of the day I'd be able to start my own church. Mm. 20 years ago when I started this, it was not in vogue. <laughs> the only guy that I knew that had even planted a church was Rick Warren, and that happened in 1978. So <laughs> I didn't even know that church planting was a thing. Uh, 20 years ago, the North American Mission Board, that I'm a part of that tribe, we didn't even talk about church planting very much. Uh, so it was a really new thing. So that's kind of how, for me personally, I got called into it, was just kind of my own journey of pursuing Christ in my life. And out of the overflow of that, God showed me some stuff and then the door opened to be involved in planting and our continued investment in planting was really born out of getting here to a city like Las Vegas. And there's 2.2 million people who now live here. When I moved here, it was 1.3 million. Today is 2.2 million, 95% of them, no relationship with Jesus. Mm. And our church was growing fast, but we discovered one church can't reach a city by itself. And so we initially said, let's start 10 churches in 10 years and re try to reach the city of Las Vegas. But then God continued to expand our heartbeat to the Western United States, which is 75 million people of which 95% have no relationship with Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so now what we're trying to do 
is uh, plant 350 churches yeah. in the Western United States in 15 years. Wow. Um, and we're planting those churches with the DNA to reproduce 10 times each. Amen. Uh, if those 300 churches can do that, that's 3,000. I'm sorry, 300 churches would be 3,000 new churches. And they each reach 250 people with the gospel. That's 750,000 people. And that's significant because that's 1% of the Western United States. So we've asked God to let us reach 1% of the West as some seed that can be sown for generations of gospel impact in the Western United States. So our engagement continues to be in the multiplication of the church, because I believe the multiplication of the church is the strategy Jesus gave us for the expansion of his kingdom in cities and nations. So that's kind of how I got into it. And that's why I'm still passionate about it. Amen. Mm, man, that's awesome, brother. Uh, Vance said that he, the only church planner you knew was Rick Warren in 1978. And man, I was pastoring outside of Memphis, Tennessee in 2010 in Mississippi. And Vance and I both went to the same sem- seminary in Mid-America Baptist Theological Seminary. And uh, I knew of I knew of two church. I tell people I knew of two church planners, the Apostle Paul and Vance Pittman. And so <laughs> Vance took my call, and we were talking before we started recording. He he uh, he he tried to convince me, man. Why would you go to Toronto? Why would you go to Canada, man? Like God's doing all this stuff out west. And uh, we were talking before the recording. He, he was talking to Jared as well, you know, and telling him about West. But um, it's amazing. Your dad, Bob Pittman, is just a godly man. He is a yeah. brother, and he's he's a legend in the Mid South area as an evangelist sure. and all over the country and stuff like that. But man, when I think about your story, man, it's like you you go from a pastor's kid, and then you're in a place that is so lost. You're in a place that is on you know the cutting edge of church planning, all those kinds of things. How how do you how do you flesh out some of like your pastoral gifts and the the big in vogue thing today is Ephesians four. I mean it's biblical. We're talking about apes, apostles, prophets, yep. evangelists, shepherds, teachers. What it what what would you say your primary giftings is? And then what is the difference from how you grew up and how you saw some of that unfold to what you're doing right now? Well, I mean, what you just described is one of the major differences. I'd never yeah. heard of a pest. Right. Um, you know, I was I grew up in that mindset that those were all descriptions of offices. Yeah. And the offices of apostle and prophet ceased to exist with the founding of the New Testament church and the, the completion of the scripture. Yeah. And uh, pastor teacher was seen as one person. And the evangelist was the guy that had a sack of sermons and a suit and went from town to town <laughs> doing revival. Sack of sermons and a suit. So um, that's good. That, that's what I understood. And so, you know, I try to tell this to people. A lot of people don't believe me, but I, Las Vegas has been as good for me as I've been for Las Vegas. Yeah. Because God radically changed my heart. He radically changed my understanding of the kingdom, of the yeah. church, of the ministry. Um, and you know, before coming to Las Vegas, I grew up in a culture where it was all about the church. Mm. And as the pastor, our job was the church. Yeah. And to be quite honest with you, when I lived in Memphis or Muscle Shoals, Alabama, or wherever I'd lived, I didn't really care about the city. Yeah. Uh, I'm yeah. ashamed to say that today, but I didn't know I was supposed to. Exactly. I thought I was supposed to take care of the church. And yeah. as long as the church did good, I was good. If yeah. we had more people and good attendance and nobody was fighting and the offering was good and I was good. Yeah. I didn't even think about the lostness of my city. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just consumed with growing a church and keeping that thing going and keeping everybody healthy and obviously wanting them to love Jesus more. But um, I was just trying to keep them together on a kind of a uh, a tour bus to heaven. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it really yeah. wasn't about um, engaging cities with the gospel, seeing the kingdom of God expanded locally and globally. Um, and I don't fault anybody that the churches that I grew up in. It's just I think um, generationally the church in the Bible Belt um, got comfortable in mm. its uh, in its surroundings, and they they they'd been saved so long they'd forgotten what it was like to be lost. Yeah. And then you get well, dropped down in a city where everybody's lost. Yeah. And I had to start thinking, I think the greatest thing that could happen to pastors in America is if they'd stop thinking like pastors and start thinking like missionaries. Yes. Um, yeah. And we're missionaries in a city to Come engage on. a city with the gospel. Mm-hmm. And the church is simply and some people get angry with me when I say this because they think I'm slighting the bride of Christ. I'm not. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the little C church and there's the big C church. The big mm-hmm. C church is the bride of Christ. The little C local church is a temporary tool established by Jesus for the expansion of the kingdom in cities and nations. It's not the goal. It's temporary. Yes. Uh, every church Paul planted in the New Testament is dead and That's right. Yeah. But the kingdom is alive and well. Mm-hmm. Amen. So my job as a pastor is to leverage the platform of the local church as a tool to gather people, to teach them and disciple them about the king, to disciple them in kingdom living, and then send them out for the expansion of the kingdom in cities and nations around the world. So uh, it, it changed everything for me about yeah. um, about that. When I think about me, to answer your question about APEST, I tend to lean, I'm more, and again, I still don't believe the offices of apostle and prophet exist today. I think yeah, yeah. that the APEST structure um, it, 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 there is a, a sense in which that is describing offices that, that some were in and some yeah. still are in the church. But I really believe it's more the fivefold function yes. of a yeah. healthy leadership structure. Yeah. I'm more the apostolic, that big picture visionary, engaging unreached peoples, and then teacher is kind of my uh, where, uh, prophetic would be the third, but but really that apostolic teacher mm-hmm. is who I am and how I'm wired. And so like at our church, we have a lead team of pastors and we try to make sure that our lead team of pastors is balanced mm-hmm. in that apostolic, prophetic, evangelistic, pastoral and teacher. We want to make sure that as we hire and add and build that team, because we for a while, we tended to lean um, and not have enough strength in just that evangelism, just that guy that's yeah. always thinking about lost people. Yep. Yeah. And so we just added somebody to our lead pastoral team that that's all they talk about. Like, I, I don't ever see them at the office because they're always at Starbucks leading somebody to Christ. <laughs> uh, but that's why we put them on the team. Mm, yeah. That's infectious. And we needed that balance on our team. Yeah, that's so good, man. That's good. Well, so... Vance, you know, obviously to be able to, to multiply churches, we need to have church planters, right? And yes. so you've talked a little bit about, and we've got most of the the people, you know, that are listening to this podcast are involved in some way, shape, or form in church planting. They're either thinking about maybe planting a church or they attend a church plant or they're a church planter. we got a lot of church planters uh, that listen. And so I wanted to talk to you just a little bit about uh, just kind of your, your journey. So you talked about in your book, uh, that you wrote, you talked about your journey of really coming to a place where you kind of realized that you were uh, really like uh, living, you know, working for Jesus rather than allowing yeah. him to work mm-hmm. through you. And I think that that's a, a, a much larger issue than we yes, really even think sure. about. And I think, why yeah. do you think church planters in particular are susceptible to that? Mm. Yeah, I think, um, uh, yeah, the book really is about that idea of Christ living in me. It's not me living for Jesus. It's Jesus living in and through me. And yeah. I think you're right. I think that is a bigger issue um, in Christianity. And I think one of the reasons why church planters are so susceptible to that trap, if you will, or that pitfall is because church planters by nature, and, and anything I say about church planters, just know I, I'm one of them. Yeah. And so when I talk about them, I'm talking about me. Yeah. And I also think uh, church planters are my heroes. I would give the shirt off my back to another church planter. But church planters by nature are entrepreneurial. Um, they're starters. Uh, they, they like production. They like results. They want, mm-hmm. they have this do something mentality. Mm-hmm. The problem with that is, and this is kind of a little bit wrapped up in my story, I thought for a long time in ministry, Jesus saved me. And to show him how grateful I am for his Mm. work of salvation, now I need to do something great for him because he's done so many. And you'll even hear people say this, and they make it sound spiritual. You know, I want to do something great for God. Mm -hmm. The problem with that is Jesus didn't call us to do something great for him. Come on. He desires to do something great through us. Mm. If we do something great for him, we get the credit. That's right. If he does something great through us, he gets all the glory. Mm. He gets all the honor and he gets all the praise. And that's why when people, you know, say, man, what got, what, what all's happened in Las Vegas? How'd you do that? Well, honestly, yeah, you couldn't have picked guys that knew less 
it's one of the things I love about our story. We were two guys from Alabama and a guy from Tennessee that were dropped down in Las Vegas like the dog on Beverly Hillbillies. <laughs> I mean, our accents didn't fit. Our clothing didn't fit. Our culture didn't fit. There was nothing about us that said Las Vegas at all. And now I pastor a church uh, that has 54 languages represented mm. in our fellowship. Uh, that is a reflection of the city. And the only explanation is that God in his divine sovereignty, by his grace, chose to pick some of the least likely people so that he would get all the glory, all the honor and all the praise. And because it made us absolutely desperate for him. We so needed him. But I think church planters are trapped in that trying to do something, trying to perform. A lot of their sponsoring churches or sending networks demand numbers. They want to see results. They want to yeah. hear reports. They want to get. And so there's just this feeling of I have to produce. Mm -hmm. And we have to get back to what Jesus said in John 15, when Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The problem is we think he said, apart from me, you can't do big things. That's right. Because let a big thing come up in our life and we start abiding in Christ. But let it just be a normal, average, run-of-the-mill day, and we think we can handle those on our own. But mm. Jesus didn't say big things. He said nothing. Yeah. And it's the exact same life that he modeled when he was on the earth. Now, obviously, I understand theologically Jesus is infinitely more than a model. But it doesn't change the fact that he also modeled for us what it looks like to live in dependence on the Father. Mm -hmm. Jesus said of himself, the Son— can do nothing mm. on his own initiative unless it's that which he sees the Father doing. Yep. In the same way Jesus lived in dependence on the Father, we've been invited to live in dependence on him through this abiding relationship. Man, that's so good. And one of the reasons that we wanted to have you on here, Vance, is because this is our heart language. Jared and I talk mm. about this mm -hmm. all the time. Yep. Yeah. And this is, man, this is what we want to give our lives to. We want to expose, I think when people think about you, they think about the great work that's gone on out in Las Vegas and stuff like that. But man, these truths, you know, they've got to come to light. We need more people talking about this, man, because I preached the Bible for six years. I didn't have a relationship with Christ. I was licensed, ordained, moving on up the ministry ladder of success. And like God wrecked my world, I realized I didn't even have a personal relationship with Christ. Yeah. And after he saved me and I had a, I had a man named Chuck Herring begin to mentor me and disciple me. And in our city church, I, I, I would preach at this church. And on, when I came back on staff there for about a year before we moved to Toronto, and these two older gentlemen, they would listen to me preach. And and one time, separate occasions, they both came to me and said, man, I, I want to talk to you about something. I want to take you out to coffee, take you out to lunch. And I want to just talk to you about something. You, you preach a lot about this, but I don't know if you know these truths. And they just started teaching me about the exchange life, started mm. teaching me about the uh, how to abide in Christ. And man, I'm telling you, it was like, it was like I had... A, a burden had been lifted off of yeah. me and and it was just through God's grace that he did it brother right yeah. before he moved us up here to Toronto because yeah. we've walked in that grace ever since and I, I just want to spend the rest of my life trying to t teach and, and show people amen the things you're talking about because God hasn't called us to anything he's called us to abide in him and he does it through us but but I don't know about you, man, but when, when we talk about these things, sometimes people present it or organize it as like a higher life or a higher Christian living, you know, almost like a, like a tongues for our charismatic brothers, you know? Right. And wh where would you like to a church planner, where would you start talking about these truths and just like on the bottom shelf, Hey man, listen, God hasn't called you to be this. He's called you to abide. Like, where would you start with that? Yeah, I'd start in Mark chapter three to be honest with you. Yeah. The very first place Jesus called his disciples mm. is in, it's recorded in Mark's gospel in Mark chapter three. And in Mark chapter three, the scripture says that Jesus went up on a mountain and he summoned those whom he himself wanted and they came to him. Now Luke tells us before he did this, Jesus prayed all night yeah. before he chose the 12 disciples. We talk a lot today about leadership pipelines, leadership development. I'm not against any of that. I'm for it all. Uh, but I think one strategy that would help us all, let's just stay up all night like Jesus did and pray before we pick <laughs> leaders. And I think that would help us a ton. Wow. Um, yeah. But Jesus prayed all night, went on the mountain, summoned those whom he himself wanted. And it says they came to him. And it says he appointed 12. And here's the key phrase. 
Mark chapter 3, verse 13. He appointed 12 so that they would be with him. Yeah. And it says that he could send them out to preach. Mm. The original invitation to the 12 disciples was not to go into all the world and preach the gospel. The original invitation to the 12 disciples was to be with him. Yeah. He didn't call them to do something. He called them to be something, mm. to be with him. And somebody would say, yeah, but then he said he'd send them out to preach. But notice this in the text. Notice the they versus the he. Yeah. They had one responsibility. Mm. to be with him. yeah. He would send them out to preach. The word preach is the Greek word that means to make public. Here's what I think that verse says. Jesus says, you be with me. Mm. And out of the overflow of you being with me, I will make my life public. And so the initial call of the Christian, of the disciple, is to be with Jesus. He's invited us into a relationship with himself. And what he desires to do is through the vehicle of that relationship. And what we've done in Christianity, we've made a massive mistake of making the relationship with Jesus, the ABCs of the Christian life. Yeah. Once you get past the ABCs, then you get on to really living Christianity. The relationship is not the ABCs of the Christian life. The relationship is the whole alphabet of the Christian life. Amen. Come on. Everything he's invited us into. Here's another verse of scripture. Jesus in John 17, 3 gives us a definition of eternal life. He said, this is eternal life. Now that should make all of us lean in because I don't know about you, but when I got saved, one of the most attractive features of it was eternal life. I came to Christ to get life. Yeah. But Jesus is about to define it. He said, this is eternal life that you go to heaven when you die. No, that's, that's not what John 17, three says. He said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. (laughs) And you know this, the word know there is a word that implies personal fellowship. Mm. It's a a relational word. Jesus said, you know what eternal life is? Eternal life is a relationship with the Father. Now, does it last forever? Yes, that's why it's eternal. Does it get better in heaven? Yes, because then it's by sight and not just Mm. by faith. But it's the same life. We've been invited into a, a relationship with him. And there's one final thing I'd say about where, why we've gotten off track with this is, is the power of the gospel. Mm. I grew up in a culture that preached the death of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. Mm. But that's half the gospel. Mm. Mm-hmm. He also rose again from yeah. the dead. Mm. Yeah. So his death is not just my death. His life is my life. And therein is the power of the gospel. His death is my death. He died for my sin, but he rose. He didn't die so that I could live for him. He died and rose again so that I could die with him and he could live through me. And it's understanding Mm -hmm. the totality of the gospel. Mm -hmm. So I think really it's getting back to the simplicity. Mm -hmm. Paul warned us in 2 Corinthians. He said, man, be careful lest you're led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Jesus. And that's exactly what's happened. We have so complicated this thing called Christianity with our do's, don'ts, rights, wrongs, rules, and regulations, or our systems of information um, that we've substituted that for an intimate love relationship with Jesus. Oh man, that's so good. good. Major Ian Thomas, he wrote a book called Uh, The Saving Life of Christ, man. It's the first book I yeah, first book I put into every, you know, new Christians book or guys that I mentor and disciple. And man, that's his whole premise. He his whole thing is is that there's so many Christians out there today who are saying, like, I I I prayed a prayer, I I repented on my sin. And they really did. They really did these things. They accepted Christ as Lord and Savior and then the the, the high or the feelings kind of wane and kind of wear down. And then the question he says they ask is, uh, is this it? Is yeah. this it? like, is this it? And the answer is no, this is not it. There's so Absolutely. much. It's, but it's well, out of I that abiding. It. Yeah. There's a quote in that book. He says it this way, that Christianity, Christianity is nothing less than the life, which he lived then lived now yeah. by him in you. That's right. And that's really the the premise of the book I wrote is if that's true, then what did the life of Jesus look like? Mm -hmm. And so I'll walk through the book and examine the life of Christ in the Gospels. Um, 
because the, the gospels teach us the truths of the gospel, the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, but they also teach us so much more about the life of Christ, mm. who was modeling what it looked like to live in dependence on the Spirit. That's why he laid aside the privileges of being God and followed the leadership of the Holy Spirit. So in, in the gospels, you learn that Jesus's life was all about relationships, That's intimacy right. with the Father, oneness with his disciples, and then yeah. relationships with people that didn't know God at all. And so if that's what his life looked like then, what's it going to look like now as he lives his life through me? Same Amen. thing. All about relationship, relationship with the father, relationship with other disciples, and then relationships with people that don't know God at all. Mm-hmm. So, uh, man, it's we, you know, on our podcast, we, we say we're a uh, podcast by everyday church planners for the everyday church planners. So, you know, a lot of times I like to just share out of my own you know experience. I'll be honest with you. When I saw the subtitle for your book, stop living for Jesus so that Jesus can live through you. It immediately made me like perk up. And I was telling Matt, uh, this before, uh, you got on the call that I was like, man, that, that sounds like a book I need to read right now. Um, because something I've always classically struggled with is just receiving grace from God mm-hmm. and really kind of walking in that grace. Um, you know, even though I think a lot of times we know it in our heads, but yeah. but experientially, um, you know, like being able to truly walk in that freedom and, you know, whatever you want to call it, the exchange life. And like, it's one of the things that, that I guess I'm curious about your perspective on is what is it that causes that switch? to flip like for especially for listeners who might be listening and going man I, I I want my mindset to change like I want to walk I want to stop living for Jesus so that Jesus can live through me but what do I do because I I think a yeah. lot of times as planters especially we see a problem we want to fix it right and we're like well, what do I need to do what do I need to do yeah. to change so what do, what do you do <laughs> I think it's a great question and I would say mm-hmm. first of all that I don't think it is a switch that flips mm-hmm. yeah um, the bottom line is the natural tendency of my flesh yeah. Is yeah. performance. Yeah. Um, so every day that I choose to live out of the resources of my flesh, I'm going to lean towards performance. Mm-hmm. I'm going to lean towards doing. I'm going to lean towards checking off the list uh, because it makes me feel a sense of accomplishment. Mm. And I think that's why Paul said of himself, I die daily. Daily. Uh, this is a this is not. What we're talking about when you talk about this idea of the Christ life, the exchange life, whatever you want to call it, mm. um, is we're talking about experiencing victory in the Christian life. That's not the same thing as deliverance. Mm. Yeah. Deliverance is I never have the struggle again. Mm. A lot of people, when they ask that question about how did I change, they want deliverance. They want to flip the switch and never struggle with it again. Jesus never promises deliverance until heaven. In heaven, we'll be delivered. Yeah. But what he does promise is on this earth, we can have victory. Every moment can be victory. But the battle is moment by moment. I don't want anybody to hear this and think, That at some point in my life, I made this decision, and now I don't have to struggle with living out of the resources of my flesh and performance. I have to struggle with that every single day. And I think one of the failures we make is not communicating to people that the presence of the struggle is evidence Mm. of an authenticity in your relationship with Christ. Mm. It's not being struggle-free that means I'm growing in Christ. Mm -hmm. The more I grow in Christ and His life in me, the more I struggle Mm -hmm. because the more aware I become of the natural tendency of my flesh. And here's the other thing about the flesh. My flesh is not getting better. It's getting worse. My flesh has learned new ways to deceive me into performance and new ways to deceive me into living out of my own resources. Paul said the outer man's decaying. The inner man's being renewed, but the outer man's getting worse. My flesh is wicked and deceitful, and I'm as capable in this moment of every sin under heaven as I've ever been apart from Christ in me. So it's about recognizing that every day, yesterday's grace is not sufficient for today's battle. Yesterday's abiding is not sufficient for today's living. I must abide today. I must abide moment by moment and be resolved that until Jesus comes again, I'm going to live in this struggle, but I can have victory moment by moment in the struggle as I depend in Christ. Yeah. yeah. On the on Christ in me. Amen. Yeah. Yesterday's manna won't do for today. That's right. I, I, That's been it, a principle it, that he's taught yeah. all throughout scripture, all yeah. throughout scripture. 
Yeah, and it's so good, man. It's such a great question that Jared poses because people hear this and people hear discussion hear discussions about this. My grandmother was the Jared's heard me talk about her a million times, and these our listeners have too. But she's the godliest woman I've ever known. She came from the Wesleyan holiness movement, and she called me up one day and she said, "Matt, you're never going to guess what happened." And I said, "What, Granny?" And she said, "I was sanctified. I'm not going to sin no more." And she and and uh, I was telling this to a young group of leaders, and they said, "Oh, what'd you do? Did you take her to this passage? Did you show her this? Did you correct her?" And I said, "No." I said, "That's great, Granny," and got off the phone because like. She's the godliest person I ever know. Of course, we can't stop sinning this side yeah. of heaven. You know, like you said, glorification happens in heaven. But the the, the whole point is, I think also we don't understand the role of the Holy Spirit. Of course, yeah. Jesus Jesus was Jesus, and he was complete. He was God, and he never sinned, and all those kinds of things. But he also said he was going to send us the Helper, That's and. Right. So maybe you could speak in this a little bit, Vance, because, man, especially for our listeners who are not all our listeners are Baptists, but we have a lot of listeners who are Baptists. And and I think it's like the Father, Son and the, the Holy Bible. And, you know, we, we get Good nervous word. when we get around charismatic people and we get nervous. when We talk about healings and miracles and all these kinds of things. But I don't know if we really understand the work and the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives and the power that has been given to us to fight that moment by moment, day by day. So maybe you could speak in a little bit about how the Holy yeah. Spirit works. Well, Matt, all. I think, I mean, I, you've tapped into something that's real important because you're right. I grew up in the culture where we were terrified of the Holy Spirit um, because we didn't want to lose control of what was going on. Mm-hmm. And to be quite honest with you, I grew up in the church culture where we didn't really need the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's we right. had buildings, we had budgets, we had staff. We could do church for weeks and weeks or months and months or years after year, whether mm-hmm. God yeah. had showed up or not. Yeah. Um, then I moved to Las Vegas and I needed Uh-oh. the Holy Spirit. Uh-oh. You know, it was yeah. without the Holy Spirit, we were screwed. I mean, we, yeah. had, no, yeah. we had no shot at accomplishing right. anything in Las Vegas. So we were desperate for the Holy Spirit of God. And I think in this thing of talking about victory that yeah. is moment by moment, one of the things we need to realize is temptation is not bad. Yeah. Uh, and here's what I mean by that temptation, yes, is an opportunity to sin. But every temptation is also an opportunity to obey. Yeah, that's good. We tend to think of temptation as this, ooh, bad. No, God allows temptation Yeah, because it's an, every temptation is an opportunity to listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit yeah. to simply say, follow me. Mm. 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 And if we're cultivating a sensitivity moment by moment to the voice of the Holy Spirit in those moments of temptation, whether it is uh, the temptation to try to do something for God or whether it's the temptation when I pick up my phone to look at something on the internet I'm not supposed to look at. Yeah. And every moment, the Jesus said, I've given you the Spirit. And Jesus modeled following what did he do all night before he spent? He prayed. What did he do before he started his ministry? He went in the wilderness for 40 days. He, yeah. he modeled this this following the leadership of the Holy Spirit and said, I'm going to give you that helper, that that one who's going to now live inside of you that you can live in dependence on. So temptation is an opportunity to listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit mm. to simply say, follow me. And as we follow the Holy Spirit, that is the key. I think the average Baptist and maybe true for others as well, but We've 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 cult, we've not cultivated a sensitivity to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, yeah. and our hearts have become hardened mm. because the voice of my flesh is brash and bold and loud. Yeah, the yeah. voice of the Holy Spirit is still and small and consistent. Yeah, and he the, the Holy Spirit of God will not overpower the voice of the flesh. He's going to wait for me to listen and to follow him. Uh, and when you do, man, there is po- the Holy Spirit brings power. The That's power right. of God That's works right. in and through our lives in the Holy yeah. Spirit. And, you know, Baptists or not, man, we've begun to see things happen in our church in Las Vegas. We we believe this so strongly and we we really link a lot of this to to corporate prayer. I don't think there's power in prayer. I think there's power in the one to whom we pray. Mm-hmm. And I believe that in the New Testament model in the book of Acts, Prayer 
is done way more corporately in the book of Acts than it's done individually, mm. When you, at least what you read about. Yeah. Every time you read about prayer in the book of Acts, it's all, almost always them praying together. Yeah. Yes. Not to say we shouldn't pray individually. We should, yeah. but prayer together. So we've we've carved out now an eight to 10 minute block in every weekend service that we yeah, have at Hope Church. Man, that's awesome. Where we lead the church in corporate prayer. And bro, in the last month and a half, we've seen two women healed of cancer mm. wow. uh, that were given a diagnosis of terminal. We've seen a son that was lost that was being looked for by the police to show back up on his parents' doorstep. We just saw a mentally deranged young man uh, who was not able uh, they hadn't they hadn't seen him in two and a half years, wow. and our church came together and prayed. He showed back up at his home uh, yesterday. Uh, we just had uh, a, a few months ago a lady that came to our eight fifteen service on Sunday morning, burdened for a relative in Minnesota that was lost. She came to the altar. We prayed with her over this lost relative at eight fifteen. She didn't even know it. The lost relative was surprising her with a visit to Las Vegas. Showed up at the eleven thirty service. Got Come saved on. in the eleven thirty service Come that on. day. Wow! Um, I'm just. I think one of the problems <laughs> yeah. with the American church. Yeah, we've gotten so comfortable in the Christianity without the Holy Spirit. We don't even see the New Testament Christianity fleshed out. Mm, and it's right. that's why a lot of our cities are not impacted because they're not attracted to another dead form of religion. Yeah. But when they see a living God moving in power, changing lives, putting families back together, setting people free, they want some of that. That's wow. real, man. Vance, wow. Real quick, could, could you just kind of share with our listeners, like, what is that? So some here you say we yeah, carve out eight, good, to, eight to 10 minutes in our service. Yeah. Like, like practically, how does that look? How do you do that? Yeah, I'll say a couple things about it. First of all, um, if you're not familiar with a, a group called the 6-4 Fellowship, you need to Google 6-4 Fellowship, just the number six, the number four fellowship. And it's an organization. It was a, it's actually a fellowship of churches started by a guy named Daniel Henderson in partnership with Jim Cimbala. Mm. To give you an idea of the the, the Daniel love Jim Cimbala, man. Okay, so, well Daniel Henderson is a former executive pastor with John MacArthur and Jim Cimbala. So you got this <laughs> incredible. But but the whole thing is about Acts six four mm. that God's called us to prayer and the ministry of the word as the two foundations of scripture of of the church. Unfortunately, a lot of pastors think that means I'm supposed to pray so I can preach the word. Mm. But if you study the verse, Mm -hmm. the definite article is before prayer and the word. So it's the prayer, literally, and the ministry of the word. So I think it's talking about the corporate prayer ministry of the church and the corporate ministry of the word in the church are the two wings of the airplane that allow the church to fully function and accomplishing its mission. So out of conviction, we started this and Daniel teaches this. He actually has for some church planners. It's a great resource. He does a 90 day coaching on leading your church to experience a culture of prayer in the church. Um, And one of the things Daniel talks about uh, in his in his book, uh, Old Paths, New Power, is a um, is scripture fed, spirit led corporate prayer. So every Sunday we'll take a text. I did it this Sunday, took Psalm 40 and the, like four or five verses out of Psalm 40. And I just the whole church, we read them together and I tell them we're going to, you know, allow some scripture fed, spirit led prayer. And then I just open us in prayer. And I'll take a section like, for example, I think um, that verse that I read this Sunday opened with the line, how blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust. And so I'll say, here's what I want us to do all over the building right now. I want you to just begin to pray. And here's the sentence. Lord, today I trust you with blank. Mm. And as the spirit leads, you just fill in that blank. And for the next few minutes, we're just going to in surrender. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a circumstance in your life. Maybe it's a health problem that you, maybe it's an area of obedience that you haven't been willing to surrender. But Lord, today, I trust you with blank. And we just lead them through that text of scripture. And we just, for eight or 10 minutes, we'll just let the scripture become the centerpiece of a conversation. The next, I think the next phrase in that passage said, many, O Lord, are the wonders which you have done. Mm. So I said, okay, here's the second phrase we're going to pray today. Lord, today I praise you for the wonders you have done in my blank. It can be family. It can be church. It can be small group. It can be finances. It can be whatever. And I just guide them to take the scripture and let the scripture led by the spirit guide this time of corporate prayer. 
Now, there are times when, like two weeks ago, we let the scripture be the one um, about letting your light so shine, and we focused it on lost people. And I invited, if you're here today and there's a specific burden on your heart for a person, mm. then people came. We had you know several hundred come to the altar throughout the day with that person's name. Those in the congregation, we prayed generically. And then I had them pick out somebody in the, at the altar by the color of their shirt, the color of their hair, and just start praying for that person and the person that they were praying for. Mm -hmm. uh, some Sundays, it looks like um, uh, healing, where we have uh, a, yeah. a text of scripture about God as our healer. And we'll invite people to the altar mm -hmm. that, that need a physical touch. And we'll have deacons and pastors just one by one, just lay hands on them and just pray over them while I'm leading the whole church to pray in general uh, for that, but then to pick somebody at the altar that you're praying for right now. So it varies, mm. but it's always scripture fed, spirit led prayer. Wow, man. It's amazing. That, that is, that is gold. Everything that you just shared right there, Pastor Vance. Thank you so much. That's well, let me, let me give you a line. Cause this is true. Here's what we found. Mm -hmm. When we seek God in prayer, we experience God in power. Mm -hmm. Amen. Yep. And when we don't, we don't. Yep. And and what we've tried to do is rather than creating four identical services on Sunday, we're trying to create four unique experiences where people can encounter and experience the manifest presence of God. Mm -hmm. That will never happen apart from prayer. And so sometimes that prayer thing looks different in each service as the spirit leads and guides. Mm. It'll shift a different direction uh, service to service. Mm. But but that that's kind of the heartbeat of it. And and Daniel Henderson will is I'm telling you that the book, Old Paths, New Power, the Six Four Fellowship and on the Six Four Fellowship website, I'm one of their national resource leaders. Mm. There are tons of free resources. It costs nothing to join the fellowship mm -hmm. and the resources are all 100% free. Well, that's awesome. It's amazing. I never even heard of, uh, of that ministry before. I'm, I can't wait to go check it out after we get off here. I'm going to, same here, man. that's the next yeah, thing I'm going to go 3, do. There's about 3,000 churches now that are part of it. Wow. Uh, wow. And it's interdenominational, well, you know, well, uh, some of the national resource leaders, Mark Vragup uh, out of Indiana is on it. I'm mm -hmm. on it. Um, Charlie Dates is on it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jeff Schwarzentraub out of Denver. Um, some great guys, man. Great yeah. fellowship. Awesome. Wow. Wow. It's awesome. And it's a great free resource for church planners. Yeah. Amen. Well, uh, Vance, uh, we're, we're running up against our, our time here. I know I want to respect your time, but I, I'm just so thankful for you taking uh, time out of your schedule to come on and to chat with us and to share uh, with the planners and uh, our listeners. Uh, and uh, and thank you. I uh, really do. This was uh, invaluable. So, mm -hmm. Well, I'm humbled to be asked by you guys. Um, honored to do it and love what you're doing. Love church planters. And like I said, we want to come around church planters any way we can. Any, any of your guys that happen to be listening, um, anyway, we could serve them. We'd be honored to, we have, uh, uh if they want to go online, um, we have another website, make and multiply, uh, is the website, um, make and multiply.org. I think it is. Um, and we do a, a three day intensive called M three, where we take everything. We just launched our 68 church plant out of our church. Mm, praise we God. now had 700 guys go through our M three training from all over the world. Uh, and we do a three day intensive, everything we've learned in church planting in 17 years, 18 years, we kind of downloaded in three days. Uh, so the dates will be on there. So anyway, we could serve them. We'd love to, to come alongside. Vance, before before we get off here, man, I just I'd be missed a, it, We just did an assessment last week, and I know you and your bride, you guys do a little video in there. And I was talking with one of our planners today about that. And you know, on on the way back from this all city gathering here in Toronto, and there was a time where hope, you, you guys looked at the trajectory of your growth, and you you guys would have become like the fastest growing church in North America, yeah. right? And um, and I think in places like. Uh, Las Vegas and Toronto, Washington, D.C., where Jared's at. I mean, I think at those places, it's sometimes it's easier to, to get a kingdom vision. But man, like, what would you just say to some guys out there listening to this? Because some people would say, dude, why mess with that? Like, let, just keep on becoming that machine or whatever it might be. But but uh, the more I talk with planners, the more I talk with young leaders, there's there's like this growing uneasiness with doing church as norm. 
you know, like doing the same old thing. It's almost like the idea just to become the biggest or whatever. It's, it's not the goal anymore. Maybe you could just like kind of wrap us up by speaking into the kingdom and, and why you guys shifted that focus. Yeah. I'll say two things about it. Uh, first of all, like I said earlier, the goal is not the church The goal is the kingdom. The church Mm -hmm. is the tool established for the sake of the kingdom. So you're right. When we, when we hit our third year in Las Vegas uh, as a church, we broke the 1000 barrier in weekend attendance. Um, and we, that's when we did the study. And if we continued to grow like that by 2035 would have been, we'd averaged over 35,000 people, uh, in weekend attendance and been one of, if not the largest church in, in America, one of the fastest growing churches in America. Um, but projection was by 2035, there would be three and a half million people in Las Vegas, which would mean we could be one of the fastest growing churches in America and not penetrate the lostness of our own city by even 1%. Yeah. That can't be kingdom success. Yeah. But here's what we discovered. If we multiply the church 10 times, um, or excuse me, five times every five years, and those churches simply multiplied five times every five years by 2035, uh, we could see 10,000 churches planted and reach two and a half million people with the gospel. Mm. That's yeah. that's penetrating lostness. That's yeah. kingdom expansion. Kingdom expansion is not measured by how many people are attending our church. We're asking the wrong number. There's only one number that really matters, and that's the percentage of lostness in our city. Mm. If the percentage of lostness in our city is not going down, the kingdom is not winning. The kingdom is losing. Mm. So my church can be growing, but the kingdom can be losing in the city. And that's the real metric. Uh, Jesus called us to be about making disciples and expanding the kingdom of God. You'll never find anywhere in the New Testament, Jesus said, plant or grow the church. Mm -hmm. Jesus, matter of fact, said just the opposite. He said, "Mm, I'll build my church. Yeah, come on. You Mm -hmm. make disciples, engage cities with the gospel. I'll build my church. Mm -hmm. And so the kingdom demands that we do that. And that's why Jesus said, seek first the kingdom and I'll take care of everything else. You seek first the kingdom. I'll take care of everything else. So I think uh, the end game demands it. I think the metrics of success demand it. I think what Jesus has called us to demands it. Um, And I think it's just what we have to be about. Amen. Amen. That's Amen. worth giving your life to right there. Amen. Well, hey, uh, listeners, uh, again, so if you've enjoyed, uh, like we have, uh, everything that, that you've heard today, and if you've been blessed by this, then you need to make sure you go pick up uh, Vance Pittman's new book, Unburdened, Stop Living for Jesus So Jesus Can Live Through You, uh, coming out in January 2020. Do you have a specific day that you know it's dropping, Vance? I think it I think it drops January 20th, uh, okay. but you can pre-order now on everywhere, Amazon, CBD, Google Books, Goodreads. It's, it's a available now on pre-order. Awesome. awesome. And we'll drop a link to to the Amazon where you can pre-order it uh, on the uh, show notes for our listeners. And I'm also going to put a link to makeandmultiply.org um, uh, on the show notes as well for our listeners that are interested in that. Um, so I uh, want to thank you guys so much for tuning into another episode of In the Trenches. Make sure you head on over to uh, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever, whatever platform you listen to us on. Make sure you hit that subscribe button and leave us a written review. It helps uh, when people search for Church Planning Podcast. Uh, it just increases the exposure. We want to get this podcast into the hands of more church planners so that it can be a blessing to them. Uh, We're going to be back next Monday with another episode of In the Trenches. So until then, go out there and get in those trenches, church planners. 